Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share an anonymous experience from ions.org, the International Association for Near-Death Studies website, and uh, we'll go ahead and dive right in. She says, In September 1990, I was scheduled to have major surgery to remove my gallbladder. I wasn't at all scared because I had had a hysterectomy the year before, and it went like clockwork. I climbed onto the table, and the next thing I remember was a feeling of flipping over and thinking how strange it was that I could see the floor. I wondered if they had turned me over and why I didn't see the table, not the floor. The next thing I experienced was zooming up to the ceiling and looking down on a body. I say a body because I didn't realize at first that it was mine. I zoomed in without moving and realized that it was my body and it was dead. The nurses were rushing around and I could hear the the anesthetist saying, For heaven's sake, breathe! Everyone looked in a state of panic. It didn't concern me at all that I was dead. I had no concern for the body. I thought, oh well, I'm dead. Better go. Then I was traveling faster than a bullet through this blacker-than-black void. I was terrified and reached out to try to stop myself. It was at this point that I realized I didn't have any arms. I could feel arms, but they were replaced by wispy light. I thought, that's weird. Then the next thing, I was standing in front of a building that was bigger than a city. The arched doors were huge, with only a thought of wondering what was inside. I was in a huge, empty room. I could sense someone there, but I couldn't see anyone. We started communicating by thought. Faster than I could ask questions, the answers came. Next, I was standing in a garden. The colors were nothing like we see on earth. They were alive, vibrant, and glowing. Then I heard a musical note. I knew it was telling me to go back. I said I didn't want to go back. I was in paradise and wanted to stay there. Again, the musical note sounded. And wham! I was back in my body, gasping for air, and had extreme pain in my chest. Six weeks after the operation, I went to see my surgeon. I asked him what had happened to me during the operation. I told him that I saw commotion and what I had heard. He went deathly white and said, You were determined not to come back to us, but we were even more determined that you should. This experience has dramatically changed my life. I have a purpose. I live to help people. I channel healings, have psychic experiences, and am no longer afraid of death. Thank you for reading my story. That is the end of the experience. Very interesting. Let's walk through it a little bit. It says she climbed onto the table for her operation, and it sounds like this should have been a routine surgery. I mean, gallbladder, people are getting their gallbladder removed every day. It's almost as 
routine and possibly less invasive than even a uh, wisdom teeth removal, um, the way it goes these days. But uh, something apparently went wrong, and it's unclear what it was because she does not say anything about an allergic reaction or or you know somebody pushing a wrong button or you know injecting the wrong thing or what it, it just sounds like there was a, a few moments where they thought they lost her they they were going to lose her and they were determined to keep her back or keep her here and uh, all the doctor said is you were determined not to come back to us but we were even more determined that you would and uh, she talks in the commotion about them, you know, shouting for her to breathe and that she was in a state of panic. Now, it's possible, I don't know, but it's possible that uh, she had sleep apnea and didn't know it or something like that. Or perhaps there was a minor or major allergic reaction that caused her throat to close up something. But it sounds like breathing was what stopped which, as we've said before, seems to be one of the quickest ways to propel a person into an out-of-body experience. And uh, so she uh, says that she gets on the table, and the next thing she remembers was a feeling of flipping over and thinking how strange it was that I could see the floor. This sounds like a moment where she is in her body, but not connected to it. So she has detached from it, but she is still in the same space as her body because her spirit is apparently flipped over and she is seeing through the bed, seeing through everything to the floor. And, you know, it's, it's hard to know what to make of that. And yet there is a sense in some some people, when they leave the body and they're having an out-of-body experience, some people try to pass through walls and they're able to pass through the wall easily. Some also describe that as they approach the wall, it opens up as if hole in the wall opens up and they pass through it. I wonder if something similar to that is taking place in the bed. Um, she is flipped over for whatever reason. Her spirit is flipped over, probably so she can see her body and the fact that she is needing to come back may be that, you know, the other side is trying to help her. No, you got to stay with your body. Look at this body. Look at that. That's your body. You need to go back to it kind of thing. I don't know. But uh, she finds herself flipped over. And the next thing she experiences is, is rushing, I assume backwards, looking down at the body, rushing upward and... Uh, she says, zooming up to the ceiling and looking down on a body. And I may have misinterpreted that. I pictured zooming up, you know, into the sky. But it sounds like she just zooms up above the body because she says that she can see the body and that it's dead. She's not recognizing whose it is. And yet, you know, it's hard to say whether she's still in the room or just seeing her body at a distance because... Many people, as they're rushing away, and it, you know, their body is so distant that it's just a, a spot, but they can see every detail of what's going on, or they can, um, they can focus well enough to be able to see every detail of what's going on. It's as if part of them is there still, at least their attention to it is still there, 
as they drift away. It's it's not clear whether she is still in the room or zooming away. But she does say that she was traveling backwards faster than a bullet through this blacker-than-black void, which terrified her because, I mean, who wouldn't be terrified if you were suddenly rushing straight forward or straight backward into a blackness? I mean, that is an understandable fear. <laughs> but, uh, and then she goes to reach out to stop herself. She's like, ah, for reaching out to grab something and realizes she doesn't have any arms. It felt like she had arms, you know, as she reached out. She felt like she was reaching out with arms, but all she could see there were wispy lights, which, you know, of course she says, I, I thought that was weird. This is weird. But that seems to imply the conscious intelligence form, if, if I'm understanding that right. And she says, next thing, I was standing in front of a building that was bigger than a city. Now, this is interesting too, because, you know, in this conscious intelligence form, people seem to be unclear of their size. And they're obviously assuming most of the time, as I would assume is the case here, um, that they are their same normal size. But if you think about it, if you were suddenly the size of an ant, then your room that you're in right now, or whatever, would look like the size of a city, right? And, uh, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that that's probably what's the case. I think this probably was a massive building. <clears throat> I'm just trying to offer alternative possibilities as well, in case that, you know, it's, she says the arched doors were huge, um, and I'm not sure what the point of having massive doors and massive rooms is, unless it's, well, people have described going into a sort of amphitheater, and perhaps that's what this is. I don't know. She doesn't specify much more than saying a big building, big room in a big building, and with huge arched doors. Um, and whether she is genuinely in a building that size or if she is simply smaller and seeing it that way, I don't know. It's, it's totally unclear. But she says, I was in a huge empty room. I could sense someone there, but I couldn't see anyone. There that is again, that idea of sensing someone there, but not being able to see them. And then she starts communicating with this other person by thought. And in communicating with this person, she says, faster than I could ask the questions, the answer came. And then all of a sudden, she's in a garden. And the colors were like nothing here. They were vibrant and glowing. And then, she says, and I'm not sure if she's still in the garden or if she's elsewhere, but uh, she seems to be in the garden. She says, then I heard a musical note. I knew it was telling me to go back. Now, I don't know how a musical note talks to a person, but there's some kind of communication taking place. And was this musical note a sound or a vibration that feels like sound? I don't know, but uh, it's communicating to her that she needs to go back. And she kind of argues she wants to stay, but again, the musical note sounded and wham, I was back in the body grasping 
her gasping for air, and had extreme pain in her chest, which is very symptomatic of not breathing for a time. And, of course, um, you know, that's the end of her out-of-body aspect of her experience. And then talking to the um, surgeon later, she gets the verification that, yes, they were, they were on the verge of losing her. But interesting that this uh, musical note, she says, of the garden, she says, the colors were like nothing we see on earth. They were of live vibrant and glowing so the colors were alive the colors were vibrant and the colors were glowing and it could be that it's the colors or the plants or something that are communicating this musical note or maybe it's just this sound in the air you, you know with with things taking on uh, a sort of life of their own as things seem to do on the other side water seems to communicate uh you know the sky itself or clouds can seem to communicate it's i mean with with that much being um possible i mean it's possible that the musical note itself is a life form i don't even know what that means i don't even know what to make of inanimate objects and and in phys unphysical objects having communication but I mean I guess everything there is spiritual and not physical anyway so you know at what point does the life and inanimate start and stop and I'm getting the impression that in the spirit world that is not a solid line but is rather a blur uh, to every degree people talk about communicating with rocks and stones what does that even mean uh, i mean if rocks and stones and and so forth are communicating on some level then is every molecule in the universe some sort of life form or or a piece of a life form or a compilation of life forms i don't know i don't know but life seems to be abundant on the other side much more so than we would consider here and I find that fascinating to no end. I, uh, you know, I, I don't go around talking to the rocks uh, that I come across on the ground, but I look forward to that experience on the other side, if it is real. And uh, obviously, until we get there, we're not going to be able to fully understand what that uh, means. But the fact that there is something to that really fascinates me really fascinates me i'm one who really enjoys science on the uh on the uh non-scientist uh level because i don't understand the equations the formulas the deep you know physics and and chemistry and so i don't even pretend to understand it if anything i understand some of it on a metaphorical point of view you know, when you talk about space-time and how as you compress time, it also compresses space or vice versa and so forth. I can understand that on, on a metaphorical point, uh, perspective of, of, you know, comparing it to, you know, compressed air or compressed water or whatever. But 
when it comes down to it, is it even really comparable? I don't know, probably not, but I'm fascinated by all of that. And in that fascination, I'm left to wonder how much of this is clearly manifest or clearly explained by some of this stuff that we learn in near-death experiences. I mean, how much of it can be explained a little bit? Is light a life form of itself? Is there intelligence in light? And I'm starting to think maybe there is. And while we are tempted, we may be tempted to say, well, what are photons then? Photons are this, and and, you know, electrons and neutrons of atoms are this, and so forth. We can break down, right down to the uh, deepest level, what things are made of. But what are those things composing? Okay, if you have a bunch of elements, okay, let's just say a song, for example. You can break it down to its vibrational levels, and you can, and you can, uh, you know, separate the timbre of speech and and sing song, and uh, and the uh, breakdown of the linguistic value of the individual components of the words, down to their smallest levels, and you still don't see what the song is just the ingredients all put together it could be you know if you just have those ingredients to work with you could come up with a song or you could come up with scraping on a chalkboard or you could come up with you know rocks falling down a mountain and you're working with the same elements coming up with totally different results and when you talk about the experience of a song that's something very different than its individual components. And I'm left to wonder what love is as it's described in near-death experiences because it's described as what everything is made of. And is that to say that love is the photons? Or is it to say that the photons make up love, which is what everything is? Does that make any sense? I don't know. But I am left to wonder where the material universe begins and where the spiritual universe begins. And I am left to think on some level, though I don't understand it, that that transition from one into the other is the thing that's held common between all of it is love. Whatever that means, I don't know. But I sure love, would love to find out someday. If you'd like to contact the podcast to either share a comment, ask a question, or share your own near-death experience, you can do so by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST and leaving a message. You, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by purchasing the book, Life in the Spirit World, or you can go to patreon.com slash ndecast and become an ongoing monthly contributor. Links to all of those, as well as uh, links to all of our old shows, uh, the archives are just found by scrolling through. You can I, I try to make it so that they're fairly easily accessible by making 100 posts per page. 
uh, so it shouldn't be too hard to scroll down and find all of the old episodes if you would like to uh, uh, listen to the old episodes. In fact, the first 12 episodes, if you are interested in sharing this podcast with somebody but are a little bit nervous to, you know, it sounds crazy, some of these and so forth, I start the first 12 episodes by introducing near-death experiences on a level that is, I want to say beginner level, but it's more of on the foundational level, talking about the light. And then another episode talking about the void. Another episode talking about the out-of-body experience. Another episode talk. you know, I kind of break down those individual elements um, so that people who are new to the subject can hear it a little at a time. It can kind of be spilled out a little at a time. Those first 12 episodes, I, I try to encourage people, if they're new to near-death experiences, to listen to those first simply because... It, it doesn't sound all crazy after you've heard those first 12 episodes because suddenly you're seeing, oh yeah, there's that void. Oh yeah, there's the light. Oh yeah, there is buildings. Oh yeah, there's the landscape and mountains that we're talking about. Anyway, so that would be a good way to introduce it to somebody going to those first 12 episodes. And once again, thank you all of you again so much for listening. Bye.